0: The <laughs> whole no, face is lighting up, but it's, it's a temporary light. <laughs> and it's something that we want to be conscious of, and we can all fall into it, we all hear not. So that's something that we want to be conscious of is just where our words coming from. What is the goal of it? Is our goal black tantric? Do we want to destroy? It? Is our goal red tantric? Do we want to arouse? Or is our goal white tantric? Do we want to elevate? It? Yeah. And then the teacher's language is this idea of poke, provoke, confront, and uplift.
1: Mm, that sounds great. Yeah.
0: So it doesn't mean that you're being mean, but like a simple poke can be it can be the simplest thing. Like poke. Okay, for those of you that are sleeping right now, let us sit up tall so we can meditate. That's a little poke. And then provoke, we're going to do this meditation for 31 minutes. Oh <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> then confront. <laughs> then the confront is the actual starting of it. And then the elevation is through the experience. So that's an example. It doesn't have to be like you're antagonizing somebody. And very much so, like if you start to read deeper into these teachings um, and look at some of the lectures, you'll see this dynamic of Yogi Bajan advocating to be a Saturn teacher. But you do not need to be a Saturn teacher. Because the teachings themselves are already Saturnian. They're already hard enough. Even three minutes of ego eradicator, with someone is like, "Ah!" it's that pressure that forges a diamond. So you can just continue to be kind with your words. like, okay, keep up. And even when, like, I had one student once in New York who screamed at me, speaking of curse words, I here, what the fuck were you thinking, picking this kriya? Wow. And it just go, good, keep up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And New York is fun, you have to come teach that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, with the sound current... This is why it's so relevant for us as teachers just to really examine our words. So some one exercise that you can do to strengthen your, what's called your Vachsiddhi, V-A-C-H, Vachsiddhi, S-I-D-D-H-I. Vachsiddhi is the power of your words to manifest. So to bring more power to project, the more we're talking about word speaking from the navel, that's Vachsiddhi. And so to cultivate your Vachsiddhi, real, sim- two simple exercises that aren't even a meditation, one is to talk to a tree and have a dialogue as if you are responding to the tree, like the tree is responding to you. And what that will do is develop your power of sunya, which is the power of deeply listen. And then when you can deeply listen, then you have a deeper, it's like that's the yin, then you have more yang. Yang, the power to project through your sound current. The second exercise it's really fun to do But I advise you, for karmic reasons, to not use it against anybody, to not share it with anyone. It's only for you, and delete it afterwards, is you take your iPhone, or you buy a recording device, and you record yourself for one full day. But really, do not use it against another person because you don't have their permission. Do not repost it on Instagram. Do not not share it to anyone. Do not use it in a court case. (laughs) It's only for you. But then you, at the end of the day, you can fast forward where you're not speaking, but then listen to how you speak. And what that will teach you a lot it'll teach you about your insecurities, it'll teach you about your ego, it'll teach you about your defense mechanisms, it'll teach you about your compassion. And then also, you can see, like, wow, yeah, I was speaking to a destroy. <laughs> or, Ooh, wow, yeah, I was really flirting. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can see about like speaking to elevate. So that's something I really recommend for all of you is just to really record yourself and listen. And it's such a powerful, and it can be really uncomfortable as well. But it's something that I advise all of you just to do at least once. Yeah. Yeah, it's intense. But it really helps me with speaking. To like, oh, I noticed I used a lot of ums today. like those expressions. So that way it also will help your delivery as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And then I can even notice with myself as well, when I get really excited, I can speak really fast. Mm -hmm. So then when I do the exercise, it's a reminder for myself just to slow down, to be more aware of how I use this energy. Because every word that you speak is part of your life force energy. So then, If you are using your life force energy, you want to be conscious how you use it. And then just like taking a fast from food, as long as you're healthy enough, and that's to recharge your system, repair your gut, repair your vitality, to take a fast from speaking is also another way of recharging your vaksini, recharging your life force. And within the dynamic of why or how this Gyan Gufa is relevant for you is that you can direct it also consciously through chanting. So each of the different mantras in Kuna Yoga is a way that we use this Gyan Gufa to open up and activate energies within side of ourselves. One of the mantras that works so powerfully, it's in your book, I don't think it's on your test, but it's still a good one to know is that I call it the emergency mantra. <laughs> and so the mantra is uh, let's say it together, Ap Sahai. <speaking in foreign language> hoa. Hoa. Satcha. Sacheda. Satcha doa. Sacha Had. Had great. And so this mantra, the translation of it is the Lord, the universe, God, goddess, has become my protector. The truest of the true has taken care of me. And HUD. HUD both means God. It also means the earth aspect of our life. And HUD is also that, di- that d- dynamic that breaks through the obstacles of our own limitations. So did I just describe the difference between HUD and Waheguru, do you? No. no. Okay, so Waheguru is a thousand times more powerful than chanting HUD. So then comes the question, so why still chant hud? Yeah. <laughs> because waheguru is actually the most powerful of all the grumugi sound currents. Just waheguru. Mm-hmm. So you can just chant waheguru and you'll have such a powerful effect. And so then the question is, why chant hud? So think of it this way. Let's say you have a mountain of karma. Or even better, think of it like you have a foot warp, <laughs> A big warp on your foot. Waheguru will remove the warp. But hud, it removes the root of the warp. Because it's the earth mantra, it goes to the root of things. So, your wart could be humongous. Sorry for the bad analogy, but it's it's the best one. It'll wipe away that huge wart, no matter how big it is, because Wahikudu is so powerful. But HUD is what takes out the root so it doesn't regrow. So, we can actually face what pattern is in place that's causing us to continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over. So if we enter the same relationships with our life over and over, the same people are always attracted to us over and over, we say, keep entering into the same mistakes over and over in our life, that's an opportunity to root out something, to root out something within ourselves so we don't have to repeat it. Like in the Kriya, sometimes we repeat frog posts three times in a row. So that way in life, we can be more seamless, and we can find that space of acknowledging where the root is and rooting it out. So, HUD is added to the end of this mantra. So, the mantra actually comes from a Shabbat, called the Absahehoi Shabbat. And the Shabbat is a longer one that you can use any time from 3 to 4 in the morning, whatever your local time is, if you have unbearable financial disparity or hardship, and you can chant it for an hour. Hmm? Like, if you're like in a really horrible financial position... From 3 to 4 a.m., you chant the Shabbat, the fuller mantra. For 11
1: minutes?
0: Not for an hour.
1: <laughs> from, three, from
0: 3 to 4 a.m. Isn't this the most powerful time to do it? 3
1: 4
0: whatever. Yeah, no. What was it called? The, the Shabbat. So the Shabbats are like the longer mantras. So S-H-A-B-D and the Apsa-ho- Apsahaihoa. The Apsahaihoa Shabbat. And, so let me play the Shabbat for you. you Regular financial issues, issues, then you can go to any of the other prosperity ones. But like, you know, it's not going to hurt to do the the with Shabbat. And it's like, you know, you just do it as much as you need to. (laughs) So with the the Absehoi Shabbat, there weren't many recordings actually of the Shabbat. So then I was able to find this song, or create it. your animosity and your enemies like ice cream in the sun Are you talking about, uh, that you yeah so that's in your book is the mantra that comes from the Shabbat the Shabbat is longer so you have to google the the, the lyrics or you have can put what's WhatsApp group Yay. yeah let me just remind myself
1: There's yeah, that song
0: too and the song yeah the, it's uh, it's on my last album yeah. so it's on Spotify and Apple music and, I got it yeah. Really. yeah African Soul and so with that, um, so with that Shabbat, that's the most powerful permutation of it. But the shortcut version to it is the mantra that's in your book. Uh-huh. And so to bring power to just that one line from the Shabbat, which is the three huds are added at the end. So you bring in the strength of the navel to work out the root of why you don't trust in the universe, why you get in your own way with blocking the flow of the blessings. So, with with this mantra comes, and the Shabbat comes this understanding that the angels, the light force, the the light of the universe wants to support all of us to grow and to transform. And here on earth, we're here to learn and grow. But we can get in our own way from learning our lessons, from really trusting the flow, from allowing ourselves to receive. So, in Apsai Hoa, that's why I call it the emergency mantra. So, the first time that I had a deep experience with it. So when I first did Kulana Yoga, it was before I started working. Uh, mm-hmm. I had no lights in my apartment. I couldn't afford the bill, and I was just like okay, everything's shut off, and was a dead of winter, it's freezing cold in my my building, and of course it was my father's <laughs> building as well. So he wasn't helping me. Wow. <laughs> I think Rishabh would tell you a little bit about my childhood, not this.
1: Yeah, he you know, he, he said that, that
0: to I ask. Yeah. A oh, so I have yeah. to ask you. Oh,
1: okay. yeah. Yeah. He
0: said, just said <laughs> that he had some challenges. Yeah, yeah, i just had some challenges, but you know the mantra got me through. <laughs> 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 yeah, I had a very unconventional family, and so um, and so I chanted. Out, okay, I'll, I'll share. Okay, but just I'll say what mantra I chanted, and I was able to get the lights back on. So it was really like a miracle took place. So with um, a little bit of my, my upbringing, so I was raised by my grandmother because my mom, double Virgo, my dad, double Gemini, and, and he was 17, she was 29. Wow. she only prefers younger men. But we have this rule, she's not allowed to date anyone younger than me. <laughs> One time she called me up and she was like, Hey, so I know we had this rule. I was like, (laughs) I was twenty-one at the time. I was like, Mom. (laughs) Wow. Okay, I already told you too much. (laughs) Don't hate. (laughs) Yeah. And so yeah, my dad was seventeen, double Gemini. My mom, twenty-nine, double Virgo. And uh, they divorced when I was three years old, and uh, I. Growing up, I never understood why my dad was so immature, but when I look back, he was 17 years old. Yeah. So, he didn't raise me. He, he, fe- he loved aggressive women. So, my mom also is a very aggressive woman, and she's very psychic as well. So, like, she can read She her, like, we're very different people. <laughs> so, some things that she prides herself on is that she can meet anyone, and she knows how to make them cry with her words. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> so, and I, and I would never forget, like, she always told me as a little kid, she was like, mommy will know the first time you have sex. Mommy will know. And then, like, even I remember, like, a friend calling up who she never met, and she would just hear them on the phone, and as soon as I would get off the phone, she was like, why are you hanging out with someone that smokes cigarettes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was an intense oh. environment with her. And, uh, and so, with their uh, divorce, my dad... So my dad loved aggressive women, and so he found the next aggressive woman, who they were always like, he found one woman in a car, and he married her, and then she divorced him as soon as she got her papers, and then he found another woman in a car, and she was, not, and both of these women were really nice to me in the beginning, but then as soon as they got married, oh my God, it was the other side. Where did you live? I grew up in Long Island. Yeah, so I grew up in the projects in this town called Rockwell Center. And, but I was raised by my grandmother because my dad had his crazy situations going on with his his partners. And my mom, after she divorced my dad, she started dating this really aggressive guy who eventually threatened to kill all of us. Oh my god! Because <laughs> my mom loves danger, and so even while she was pregnant with me, she was still doing illegal drag racing.
1: Illegal
0: what? Drag racing. Like, the, in the cars, like, they find streets and they bet who will win, and they drive their cars as fast as they can. Oh. So it's something that she just loved to do. And so, and then while she was pregnant with me, like, like she, she's very passionate about fighting. She said she, she stopped fighting people in the 90s because she said in the 90s here in America, they started prosecuting women. But before that, women can get away with beating other people up. <laughs> and so, even while she was... So even while she was pregnant with me, my dad tells a story like this one person cut her off for a parking space. And you know what the clubs are? You know, you secure the steering wheel. She goes out of her car with the the club and she knocks on the window. Please open your window. She's holding the club. So that was my mom's energy, like all throughout my pregnancy (laughs) and early on throughout my childhood. So it's just a very different upbringing and so and then i was raised by my grandmother and my grandmother's favorite pastime was complaining <laughs> every single day she was like oh another day oh it's so hard and she was also a diabetic and she loved her coca-cola and she loved her babe ruth bars and uh she was also very physically abusive because part of and i came to an understanding with it but she grew up in south carolina in 1933 mm-hmm in the midst of segregation, Mm -hmm. and also to a very abusive household. So like her mother was half Cherokee, half African-American, her dad was African-American and their parents were slaves. Mm -hmm. And so then her father, because of that slavery, because of that abuse, it definitely affected her parents' minds. And so her father sexually abused her. And she would tell stories of him hanging her upside down, naked from a tree, beating her bloody, and then raping her. Oh, my God. And so that was her, and she was the first of 13 children. Mm. And her name at birth was Baby Girl, because they didn't even care to give her an English name. Okay. And so then on her own, she got her way to New York. <coughs> and it was kind of like an underground railroad. And so she brought all the 13 children, she, she got them all to escape from her parents, and then she raised them. Wow so that they didn't have to experience that sexual abuse. But definitely that was very traumatic for her. So then with raising my mom, she was very abusive to my mom. She would make her eat um, Vicks vapor up as punishment. It's the stuff you put on the chest to like open up with eucalyptus in it. And so then when she was raising me, she was a lot better. My mom was like, well, she's not abusing you like the way she abused me. But still, like, she would take like any object, like a lamp, an iron. And it wasn't even necessarily for bad behavior. It was just simply for disagreeing. And so, it was part of, like, it was part of my early training, because she would even just feel if I disagreed with her, and then she would beat me. So that was the environment that I grew up in. But I remember growing up and just thinking, like, this isn't right, and I'm going to be better. And so then when I found Kundalini Yoga, there was, like, this shedding of all that kind of sadness and depression. And that also helped me with the transition of my grandmother leaving, because, at the time, she was still alive in 2005, and she started getting really nice, which is actually scary. Like, <laughs> because she was this really, she was, she was this bitter but strong, powerful, complaining woman. And then her last year of life, she became so nice. And it was like something, that we, all of us knew something was wrong. And then eventually she went into a coma, and in and out of a coma, she went to the hospital, and so she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so that's why she, her whole mind was warping, and that's why she was becoming nice in her last year of life. But something really interesting, too, is I was doing Kona Yoga, and I was able to kind of see the full spectrum of my family, and the history of abuse within my family, and I was able to forgive. And this is also something in relationship, like I know Grishavit has his own philosophy with Yogi Bhajan, but my the way that I come to it, and each and every one of you also have to come to your own relationship and understanding with it too. None of us as teachers can tell you what to believe with it or how to work through it. But from my understanding is like, especially from my experience with my family, and for many people like that have had parents or grandparents or great grandparents who come through the slavery system, there is such a history of abuse within our families. And so in that is a choice of. Do I say my grandmother's a horrible person and fuck her? Or do I still love her and see the full dynamic that she was capable of horrible things, but I understand where she was, why, and I can still love her. Mm -hmm. And so that's also my relationship with Yogi Bhajan, These teachings. I didn't know him, but I appreciate the teachings of what he shared. And was he capable of horrible things? Absolutely. Like any human being. And some of them definitely were criminals, so even beyond what we say, just human being behavior. But at the same time, it doesn't take away the impact these teachings have had on my life. And nor does it take away my appreciation for him being the vehicle to share them. I don't care if it would be like a, a, a serial killer on the street. If they shared some technology or system that's going to help me help other people, I'm still thankful for them, but I'm not condoning their behavior. So, my family history has really helped me to have a deeper understanding and relationship with these teachings and to work them through my life because they really powerfully helped to shift my mindset. And it was really within that first year of doing Kundalini Yoga, I felt so many layers clearing not only from me, but from my family. And so when at, so, in the last few months of her passing away. She knew I was doing some type of yoga, meditation, but she didn't really know much about it, and it was before Google, really. So she was in the hospital, and she was in and out of consciousness, but there was one moment I was with her, and she was just like, the man was here. And I was like, what do you mean, Anna? And she was just like, the man, he was wearing all white, and he had a white thing on his head, and he said, you're doing good work, and you'll be taken care of. And I was like, okay, that's good, Anna. (laughs) And so, at that, time, I, at that time, I didn't even know who Yogi Bhajan was because the studio I was at was focused more on another teacher, and, um, and so he was named Guru Nam. And so with Guru Nam, I was just like, oh, Guru Nam wore a turban, and sometimes people were all white. So I was just like, I didn't think it was Guru Nam, but I was just like, wow, it's like, you know, a kundalini yogi of some sort, maybe some guru of kundalini yoga that came to my grandmother in her last few months. And then I went to my first year of summer solstice, 2006. And white tantric yoga, if you, once it starts up again, uh, it's also to work on your own karma, but it's also to help the souls of any of your loved ones who have not moved on mm-hmm. to break the Akashic Records and to go on their journey. And so before I went to the summer solstice, she was in the, like, the deepest coma. And so my mother was like, are you sure you want to go away? She's probably going to die at any point. And I was like, no, I need to go. Mm-hmm. And so on that second night of, because there's three days of white tantra at the Summer Souls Disgust oil. So on the second night, this giant moth flew on my leg and it stayed there for an hour. And I was like, why is this moth here? And what I didn't realize at the time is that my gran- it was at the time my grandmother passed away, that the moth appeared. And so then the next morning, I found out that she had passed away. And at that point, I had already come to peace. I already like, had forgiven her. I hadn't forgotten about my abuse, but I forgive, forgave her for how she treated me as a child. I also had more of an understanding of her as well, and more a lens of compassion. So I really do love her. I, I do appreciate her, even though she's passed. And so on that third day, I found out she passed away. So I broke down in tears on the desert. And I remember a yogi coming up to me, being like, oh, she passed, Ashe, blessings, now she's on her journey, which is not something to say when someone's grieving. <laughs> which is, you know, it's true. It's actually a blessing. She's on her journey, she's free. She's free from so much pain that she had to suffer through in her lifetime. But when someone's grieving, give them the space. <laughs> And actually that made made me feel worse and I started crying more because I was so angry. Uh, But then during that third day of Tantra, I knew I had to do it because I was like, there's a reason she passed away now. Mm -hmm. And so I did that third day of Tantra and it was the most wild experience. So the Tantric shelter is huge. It can fit a thousand people. So it's kind of like this, but made out of aluminum. (laughs) And the roof is all metal and there's beams everywhere. So all the sides are open. And so in the middle of one of the exercises, and the partner I had was, she was very nice, she was very kind. My friend told her, he's grieving, he's probably going to cry a lot. She was cool with it. And so during one of the exercises, we're just chanting, Wah, hey, Guru, Wahe hey, Guru. And there's a story that Yogi Bhajan controlled the water element. And every day, every, every tantric, on the third day of tantric, he would make it rain, was a tradition. Now, it hasn't rained every year, but I didn't necessarily believe that story. And then, especially with him already gone. So then we're chanting, wah, hey, Guru. Then all of a sudden, I hear like marbles on the roof. Mm-hmm. And I open my eyes and it's clear skies. And I was like, are they faking this? Are they putting marbles on <laughs> the roof? Yeah. But then all of a sudden, all this water starts dripping off the sides wow. of the tantric shelter. So it was one cloud that was right above the tantric shelter just raining. Wow. And it stayed for the entire meditation. Wow. So it felt like such a release for myself, but also for my grandmother. So that is the dynamic, is like we can have these really challenging upbringings, but it doesn't determine or limit us if we choose to not let it. And it's something that I will continue to work through my whole life, but at the same time, I've made leaps and bounds through this practice. And that's why I'm so thankful for it. And nothing's going to take me away from this practice we appreciate Bye. Bye. So, like it Bye. so basically whenever looking through a show get bored watching Netflix they just ask me about my, my childhood oh, my <laughs> seriously <laughs> <laughs> they're not even joking they really do <laughs> they like, they'll sit for like an hour and just keep asking me questions. <laughs> yeah so that was the upbringing I, I came from and uh, yeah so for all of you just keep working with whatever experience is in your life, and it's not to diminish whatever experience you have. If it's less crazy than that, more crazy than that. But just to acknowledge that there's an opportunity of transforming it and actually using it to help other people. Because yeah. the pains that you've been through, is, there's a dynamic of the students that will come to you might have gone through the same pain or even worse. And there's something within you that as you've worked to transform it on a subtle level, they'll recognize it. And that's why they'll come to you. And as teachers, it's also recognizing that students will come and go. We can't hold on to them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're coming to each and every single one of you. Because this came up in a conversation today with someone here, that they didn't feel ready to teach. And really, for all of you, you're all ready to teach. No matter how messed up you think you are. (laughs) Or how messed up other people tell you you are. (laughs) You're all ready to teach. And in this age, each and every single one of you is a facet on the diamond. Each and every one of you has a different projection of the light that will shine through that prism of the diamond. And so each and every one of you will reach people in a different way. So you don't have to be ready to teach Koni Yoga, you just need to teach. And people will come if they're meant to come. Whether it's one student or hundred students. It doesn't matter. It just matters that you can, shift someone else, uh, you can shift someone else's life and elevate them. And that's the power of Guru, that's the power of light that moves through you if you let it. And you'll find that by teaching, it's kind of actually like, it's really for your benefit too. Yeah. By teaching, it helps you to move through so many of your own personal issues through such a fast trajectory. And with this dynamic, I have to mention again about holding on to students is don't get attached to them because as they're processing something within themselves, and maybe like Sergio, maybe you'll represent their father to them. And as they're working through their father issues, they'll go to your class. And then once they resolve those father issues, they may go to Monica's class and they start working through their mother issues through you. And then, when they work through their mother issues, they may work on some other issue and they, they, they resonate to another teacher. So that's why you can't hold on. And to not get into the space of, like, oh, I can't sub out my class because no one else can teach the way I do, which I've heard several times from many teachers. And that's holding on, it's gripping onto students, but they're not yours. And something that, this is also the reason why I really appreciated your move. Um, so Especially back in the day of Golden Bridge, Hollywood, I remember a student coming up to her like, Kimilk, you're my teacher, I love you so much, thank you so much, I love all your classes, and I go to every class. And she's like, oh, go to Set City's class. <laughs> 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 go to Mom Curie's class. <laughs> she's like, just, like, like get up, go. <laughs> like, don't attach yourself to any one person.
1: better to work with different teachers. It's so much more beneficial than person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, when I saw
1: all of my material possessions and everything, just this sentence came to mind. Attached to nothing, connected to everything. And it always keeps me in that. Can attach. have Can. Just every experience that we're just here,
0: passengers. And this is why all of you as well, is you have to also know what your emotional needs are. And so what I mean by that, let's say you have a need to be acknowledged. If you don't, if you don't have the awareness of that, then you may start to look for that in, in your students. And that's very unhealthy. So if you can acknowledge, if you are aware that you have a need to be acknowledged, then call a friend. Hey, I just need some acknowledgement of how great I am.
1: Okay, thank you. <laughs> You're not getting that
0: from your students. You're not looking for that from your students for the compliments. Because then if you're just looking for compliments, you're like, okay, honey, yeah, we won't do frog pose. Okay, honey, we won't do stretch pose. Okay, honey, we won't have a transformative experience. Like, is it, you're, you're just playing to the egos of students yeah. instead of giving and delivering an experience.
1: Yeah, it's none of your business. Yeah, it's none of my business. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you have to detach that, but it's funny you say that, because I did. I wanted them to go, oh, that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> they said nothing, I was like, fuck. Oh, no.
0: So that's where, you, that's where you have your network of friends, and you're like, just tell me how amazing I am. Yeah, yeah thank you. Or uh, <laughs> not was happy with something, but that visual yeah. was,
1: like, really uncomfortable. Like,
0: yeah. I and so that's something I also encourage all of you, like if you've never done an emotional needs list, to do that You know, before you get your certificate, write down an emotional needs list. What are your emotional needs? Do you have a need to be acknowledged? Do you have a need to be encouraged? Do you have a need to be um, praised? Do you have a need to be um, uh, coddled? And then you find where you can get that need filled outside your classroom. <laughs> Hey, it, it's even better that uh, you pay someone, if you have no one else in your life, to give you that than to get it from your students, to look for it from your students. Because just like I told you the story with Donia Leova, who, interestingly enough, the day I told you about her, and she hasn't been to New York in two years, she's on her way to New York now. Oh, really? Wow. So she'll be there through May and June. Wow. So... Oh, said she at? So with... The, <laughs> you said, I oh, asked yesterday, she said she wasn't there. Yeah. She's there. Yeah, now she's, she's on her way. <laughs> And yeah. so Donia, you know, she gave me the best advice. She was like, as a healer, as a teacher, whether people are happy, whether people are sad, whether they're angry, none of your business. Yeah. And that's also why these practicums are so relevant, is because the feedback that we're going to give you, some, uh, many times, not always, but many times, the feedback that you'll get from students is subjective. You know, I didn't like that music. <laughs> you know, can you play this music instead? <laughs> it's like based off of their own personal ego dynamics, where... Here, we're just going to give you feedback to, to try to make you a stronger teacher, because we already see you as teachers, whether you want to be an official teacher or not. We see you as it. And with the power of your understanding of your needs, then you can be more neutral. So that way, also, the other thing that can happen is a student can praise you. So they can be like, Dijana, you're the best teacher, oh my god, thank you, the way that you channel the energy is so amazing, and you're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then, it could be the next week, Dijana's an asshole, oh my god, Dijana's the worst teacher, and you can't take it personally at all.
1: Or the pronunciation of my name. Oh, sorry, or the pronunciation, sorry. How do you pronounce it?
0: Diana, okay, thank you, I mean, Diana. Yeah. yeah, or they can mispronounce your name. So Diana, <laughs> and so, so those are examples of what really can happen and will happen. So the students who are praising you, maybe, maybe even for years, all of a sudden they hate you. Yeah navigate that, for example, I'm a projector by human design, mm-hmm. recognition
1: is so important to me, just because that's how I fun- function in life, like I work hard, put everything out there, and then when it happens, and I don't get the thank you or something, it just hurts, like, so deeply. You need, you need, your, <laughs> you need your thank you from elsewhere. Okay. <laughs>
0: you know, give get your network of friends to thank you, right. but not from your students. Yeah. You know what? So, thank yeah. you from them and I just heard the word sadhana, exactly like that's where your meditative practice is to help you as a teacher so you don't intertangle with the students because that is that will drag you down on your own spiritual growth and theirs can I
1: ask a question so that you're saying that
0: when you're teaching in your class you're not supposed to bring your personality so no no you do no, you totally totally can bring your personality. But it's this this is the key. You don't want to be impersonal. Hello everyone. Welcome to Killing Yoga. You. <laughs> and you don't want to be so personal like, oh my god, I had such a great bell movement today. Oh wow <laughs> Dude <laughs> And I love this yoga sex. so well, I'm gonna teach this yoga sex and I love it so much. No. But it's personally impersonal. So you're still your authentic self, but at the same time, their experience is their own. And also personally and personal is the same thing, like if you're talking about a challenge in your life, if it's just personal, you might just leave it and dump it on the students. Personally and personal is how do I use this personal experience to elevate the room, elevate the class, to bring in the bird energy, the angel energy. So that's the dynamic. So yes, you do. You are yourself. You don't have to pretend to be something else, a stoic monk. It's actually more powerful just to be you. I agree. And that's also one of the things that like happens in practicums is sometimes I'll go into a training midway, like other people, other teachers trainings, and I'll just do the practicum. And then I'm like watching the practice, I'm like, oh my gosh, this person is so serious. I'm like, it's okay, well. And then when they start talking, I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know if you had a sense of humor or not. Okay, good, yeah. If you have a sense of humor, that's, you know, be yourself. <laughs> but if someone really didn't have a sense of humor, that's fine. They're just authentic to themselves. And there are some teachers that are that way, and they're also powerful. But it's through your authenticity that you allow for more of a clear channel. If you're putting on a facade, you're, you're it's like you're putting in a filter. Yeah. It's like semi-connect. That
1: was me today. I went on a run and then I do new lungs in circulation. I was so pumped. I was like, I'm going to pump them up. <laughs> I was like, no, I need to calm down.
0: And then I can do a little better. Yeah, just be yourself. Like, you don't have to speak like your MOOC. You don't have to speak like you're Rishad. You don't have to start dressing like your mook and calling yourself a guru in Dubai. You don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> True story. <laughs> yeah. So it's just really the more that you are yourself, the more that you continue to work on yourself, the more you'll just be prepared for whatever comes. Whether it's students screaming at you, what the fuck. Did you pick this Korea? you're grabbing your testicles? you're speaking in tongues? Whatever it may be, you'll be ready for it because you work you just continue to work for yourself. work on yourself
1: yeah. For an example like uh, what that one? We are ready: <laughs> We already loved you as a teacher, all of us, but now that we know you a little better. Uh, the vulnerability side, being vulnerable to inspire people, I think it works yes. like a charm, always. Yeah. And it also allows you to like just, uh, like I said, be completely open, I think that helps. As long as you have that intention of yeah.
0: A- and, and also, like, honestly, if, if there's something that you haven't fully processed yet, yeah, that's different. And then maybe work that out with, like, yeah. your get first, your community. Yeah. <laughs> before trying to bring it up into the class and then, like, having to break into tears yeah. in the little class. It's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't teach the class. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is very authentic. Yeah. No. But it's also it's too personal.
1: I, d- I didn't
0: mean that. No, no, I'm just <laughs> giving that example for everyone. Yeah. But it is.
1: Take but your vulnerability
0: absolutely is yeah. a strength, yeah. but it's also something that you want to navigate. It's like something that you have worked through that can help the class to work through something in their own lives. Let's see. And what if a student asks a question that we don't know, know the answer? Oh, you say, I don't know. <laughs> or, you, or, you, or you say, I don't know, or let me look into the answer. Like, I don't know every... Thing out there. And also, your students will look to you as their lawyer, their technician, their doctor, their therapist. And unless you have a medical background, you're not, at least in the United States, you're not qualified <laughs> to, give a, <laughs> to give a medical answer and you can end up with a lawsuit we're giving a medical response in the United States. So, in that situation, it's, it's okay to say, I don't know, but I have someone I can refer you to. Or, I don't know, but I'll look into it for you, and I'll get back to you. Honey, what's your email? So that way, it's like you're, you don't have to know everything. And, and also, that's kind of the facade that we have to break out of in this new Aquarian age. The Piscean Age, we had the Gurus that know all the answers, even though who knows what they're doing in their personal lives. Aquarian Age is understanding that you as a teacher, you don't have all the answers. You won't necessarily know what to do in every situation, but you just do your best. And it's actually through your honesty of saying that you don't know something, rather than putting on a facade, that there's more strength in it in the Aquarian age. But still people look, and part of it is also the model of the Piscean Age and Christianity and colonialism, that people look for these strong leaders to tell them what to know, to tell them what to do, that have all the answers. And people still seek that in this age because they were born in the Piscean Age but you don't have to fit into that archetype, because we want to be Aquarian teachers. So let's do a little chant. <laughs> so come sitting up tall. Gyan Mudra. And so this meditation is called so just like there's Sodarshan where we pump the belly, this one is called Sudarshan. And another thing about Sudarshan and Sudarshan, Sudarshan's chakra was also the weapon of Vishnu. Vishnu was the, the god of preservation in Hindu mythology. And so Vishnu's job is for maintaining all of this life, maintaining all of our lives. And he carries a chakra of light that's able to sustain all life on this planet. So with the Sudarshan Chakra meditations, we tap into that energy of preservation through spinning our own chakras. So in Sudarshan Chakra Kriya, we pump the navel to create this energy through chakras, and this one we visualize. So we'll chant the mantra, Apsai Hoa. So say it again, Apsai Hoa, sacheda Da, Satcha Doa, Hud hud. And so, hands and game mudra, so as you chant Absa He you'll visualize it like a light, or if you're a very literal person, you'll visualize the words. <laughs> and you'll see them coming from the back of your heart center, going up to the top of your head. Then as you chant a Da, a Doa, you'll visualize it like the energy going up to the heavens, to the cosmos, to the infinite. And so then, so the back of your heart center, you go up to the cosmos, and then there's a lesson within this. You give your energy out, you receive threefold of whatever you put out there. So then as you chant HUD, you visualize the energy from the heavens, the cosmos, coming threefold back into your heart center. HUD, HUD, HUD. So you, complete, you create a complete chakra with the universe. And although I don't think on your test is a question about how many chakras, but in the old test was a question, how many chakras are there in Kundalini Yoga? And the answer was eight chakras. But, there was one time that yogi Bhajan did talk about the ninth chakra, which is, which is the chakra of devotion, which exists way beyond our physical body. And so, when we tap into this chakra, like we thousands. have the power of, hmm? It's not like thousands of... Chakras. Yeah, there, there are other systems that recognize thousands of micro-chakras. In Kurya Yoga, the, the main focus is on the eight main chakras. But there's a ninth one that he did talk about, which is the chakra of devotion. When we tap into that one, that allows us to manifest outside of the ego space. You know, like sometimes we want to manifest with ego, like please, 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 let me get this, get, let me get this wife, please, 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 let me get this wife, please, 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 I want her to be my wife, and then she becomes your wife and it becomes a nightmare for both of you, because <laughs> the ego willed it. But when you're tapped into the ninth chakra, it's from your highest self. So even if you're desiring, desire, please let me be more wife, please let me be my wife. The ninth chakra spins it and transforms it to let it be the best outcome for your own growth and destiny. So this is a meditation to manifest from your higher self as opposed to your ego. And so you'll complete this. So everyone has it, Apsai Yehovah, back of the heart center to the head. Satcheda doa to the heavens. And then three huts, three rays, back to the heart center. And then the circle continues on as you continue chanting. So now just come sitting up tall. Apply a, neck, a light neck lock, eyes closed, focus to the brow point. Deep in the breath, bring that awareness to the heart center before we start chanting. And then spinning the sound from the back of the heart center once we begin. <laughs> condensed sunlight, and the heart center has the power of 108 suns. So let us close in that space of the 108 sun at the heart center. Palms together, thumbs to the heart center. Focusing at the brow point, inhale deeply. Exhale deeply. Inhale deeply. Exhale deeply. Inhale, hold the breath in, feel the space of the heart center, stay here, prayer pose, exhale. And now with these words, let's close, guide early on.